So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to continue in the book of Joshua. So we've been in this series in Joshua. I'm going to talk about God's plans for your life here. And uh, we're going to look at, uh, uh, we're going to look at actually chapter five a little bit and then six. We're going to review from last week just in case you weren't here. And then, then we're going to jump into chapter seven. So we're going to do a little sightseeing here, a little scriptural sightseeing this morning. And uh, I think it's going to be good here. So if you're new, what we do every Sunday morning is we read the Bible. We explain the Bible, and then we apply the Bible. That's what we do. We're old school. We're a Bible-teaching church. And so that's what we are. That's what we do. We explain the Bible. So we're going to do that this morning here. And so if you're new, I just want to get you, get you caught up to speed here. So God's people were 400 years, 400 years there, uh, waiting to receive the promise that he had given them that they would one day have their own land. And now 400 years later, this is going to happen, which just shows us that God is a God who always keeps his promises. And so uh, not our wishes. He doesn't keep our wishes or our desires or our dreams or what we want, but he does keep his promises. And so he is a promise keeper. Come on, somebody. That is who he is. And so he he keeps his promises, and they're always on his time. Not on our time or their time, but always on his time. He's a promise keeper here. And so now they're going to move into the promised land. But the problem is this. Other people are living in the promised land. And they have to be displaced from the promised land. And so there was the bad guys, the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites. And all the ites there, they're the bad guys. And they've been doing bad things. Your horrific acts like uh, offering children as sacrifices there in Burying them in the, the walls there of Jericho. And it was just, it was so ugly and so horrific that God was going to have to deal with them. But I want to point this out by way of review here, that even in the midst of God judging them, there's God showing mercy. And there's a woman that doesn't exactly have a stellar reputation named Rahab. She's not exactly the picture of righteousness. She was a prostitute there living in the walls of Jericho, applying her trade there in Jericho. She then uh, opened her heart and life to God. God then sought her out. And so, and, uh, and she was saved and God showed her mercy. So there is even in the middle of judgment, God is showing mercy to Rahab. And that's what God does. That's what God shows mercy to you and, and mercy to me. And so that's the back, uh, some of the backstory there. And I'm going to give you a little more of the backstory. Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. So Joshua is standing now in the same place where, where he stood literally 40 years previous there. God's people didn't go into the land because they looked, they saw there was giants, there was superior weaponry there. And so they weren't walking by sight, they were walking by fear. Uh, they're, they're not walking by faith, they're walking by sight. And in fear is filling their hearts, and so they don't enter the promised land. And now the, the, the pause button got hit for 40 years, they've come back to this moment, and they're going to enter into the promised land there. And so what happens here is so interesting is that there is, uh, in verse 14, we see what happens is that Joshua has this experience and he says, saw a man standing in front of him 
with a sword here in his hand. So out of nowhere, out of nowhere, imagine this in your mind. There's a man standing there with a sword in his hands. You can imagine how stunned that Joshua was there, thinking he's going to take the promise. And now here, who's this guy standing before him with a sword in his hands? And he says to him, like, who are you? Like, are you for us or against us? Are you friend or foe? And look at the response. He says, I'm neither. I am the commander of the Lord's army. And so he, he's not getting the response that he's thinking enough, thinking about here. And he's saying basically, said, you're asking the wrong question. It's neither am I friend or am I foe. It's neither about whose team that I'm on. I'm on nobody's team here. I command my own team. I command my own team, this being was saying here. And he's saying essentially this here, saying that I'm on the Lord's team. I'm the commander of the Lord's army here. And by the way, you're standing on holy ground, which is reminiscent of what God spoke to his predecessor Moses when he said, when, the, when he heard someone speaking, God spoke from a burning bush there, and he said the same thing. You're st- take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. In other words, you're in the presence of Almighty God. This is what's called a theophany or a presence of God in the Old Testament here. And so Joshua hits the deck there, and he falls face down there, and he says, this is God, this is the Lord. And I get it that people can think, well, was this like an angel or what? what? No. This was, this was God himself. This was Jesus Christ, a picture of him in the Old Testament. People think, well, did he show up like there at Christmas time? Yes, he showed up in time and space there, but he, uh, God lives in a, in a uh, was never created. He lives in an eternal now. The Bible says he was and is and is to be. At the same time, he's eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end here. So this is a picture here. God himself here. And so uh, Jesus didn't show up at the Christmas story. He always was there. And so he is eternal. And so he has, again, no beginning and no end. And so he's always been the commander who is in charge. How many people know what I'm talking about, right? He's the commander. And that's what he says. I am the commander of the Lord's army here. And I want you to notice what happens with Joshua. Joshua now falls face down. And he says, I am your servant here. And he says, I am at your command. I'm at your disposal. I am at your will here. And I want us to see something here, that when he encounters God, the reality changes everything. Changes his identity. Changes his disposition. Changes his perspective. Everything changes here when he, when he gets this revelation, really, that this is God. And the response was, and the only appropriate response, was that he worshipped, that he falls down there. And I would submit to you this morning this, that when people really encounter God, when they see him for who he is, they, they see the reality of who Jesus is, it changes everything like this defining moment in Joshua's life. This is a defining moment here where now it's not all about me. Now he says here, I am your servant. I'm not serving my own purpose or doing my own thing. I am your servant. I am at your command. And he falls there face down. I believe that every, every Christ follower needs to have this moment where it changes your identity. Now, it's not about me and myself and my future and my, 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 in, a, in the narcissistic 
being consumed people that Americans basically are today. Now it becomes all about him because I realize that I'm his servant and I'm, I'm made to live for him and his pleasure and who he is. And he has this incredible defining moment. So with that background, now we're going to review from last week. So Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, I'm going to read through verse 5, the famous story of Jericho. And then I'm going to give you three take-home points that are in your notes there. And so it says this, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. And no one was allowed in to go out or to go in. But the Lord said, now who's the Lord? The Lord is this commander here that he's just been faced down before. It says, now, the commander Lord said to Joshua, watch, I have given you, I have done this. This is my provision. This was my plan. I've given you Jericho as kings and all the strong warriors. And you and your fighting men should go march around the town once a day for six days. And here's the plan. Seven priests are going to walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. And on the seventh day, you're to march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the city will collapse and the people can charge straight into the city. And so saying, look, all you have to do is do what I say to you. All you have to do is obey me. All you got to do is shout. All you got to do is march there. All you have to do is blow the horns. And so, and I will keep my promise because I'm a promise keeping God here. And so you say, well, like, what does this have to do with me? What does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with my story? I want to submit to you, it has everything to do with you. It has everything to do, this story has everything to do with your story. I'm going to just show you just three ways. And so, uh, and so we're going to walk through this passage here, and I want to point out to you what the story has to do with you, and then if you want to fill in your notes there, you can do that if you want to just listen. But this has everything to do with you and, and your future here. And so and this has everything to do with the Christ-following life here. I want to point out what that looks like here. So Joshua sees the commander of the Lord, Lord's army, and again he says, are you for me or against me? And the commander of the Lord's army says, wrong question. That's the wrong question. Neither. I'm neither one. Not for or against. I've got my own army, and it's not about which team that I'm a part of. See, I'm not a, Joshua, I'm not a part of your plans. And God's not a, really interested in being a part of our plans. See, he's the commander there here. And so, and so God is going to ask them to do his plan, and his plan is not going to make sense to them. She talked about that last week. Those messages are online forever for free. And so he's going to talk about his plan here. But his plan's not going to make any sense to them. Absolutely no sense here. So he's going to lay down his plan and imagine that he's got, Joshua's got the whiteboard out there or PowerPoint or whatever. And they all show up with their helmets and their swords there. And they're, they're ready to fight. You know, and all they know is all that they know, how they fight the battle there. And so Joshua says, look, it's going to sound a little bit crazy here. But this is what we're going to do. We've got a, got a different kind of a plan. We're going to march. And the leaders are going to blow horns. And then we're going to shout. That's what we're going to do. And you can imagine the people there thinking like, that's not going to work. There's no way that's going to work. But see, God has a plan. And this is what I want us to be clear about. God has a plan. And he is our commander. He's the commander of the Lord's army. He's not like our consultant. 
How many people know what I'm talking about? Like, you just assume God was your, the reality is, you just assume God was your consultant, not your commander. And then you can present your plans to him. This is how we live. This is how I live. Come on, let's, let's be honest. Like, I want to do what I want to do. I want my plans to be fulfilled. When I was in my 20s or 30s or 40s and beyond, I want to be about my plan. And, I, and we kind of would just assume that God would kind of be our consultant and we'll tell him what our plan is because, no, that's not how it works. You see, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I'm not the consultant. I'm the commander here. And so help me out because he says, God's plans for you, they're always the best plans. Your plans for you are never best. God who knows you, knows the end from the beginning, knows everything about you, his plans are best for you. And so, but why, what, what area of your life are you trying to get God to work your plan? to work your master plan for your life there. In what area of your life are you trying to get God to join your plan? Where? Could it be relationally? Could it be in your marriage? Could it be in your job, your employment? In what area of your life are you just trying to get God to, to work your plan? God, here's, here's, what, here's what it could look like. God, here's what I'm doing, and I'm in my, 20, I'm in my teens, and here's the, the relationships I want to have. Here's the morality that I want to have. Here's the school I want to go to. I'm in my 20s. Here's who I want to marry. Here's my plan. Here's where I want to live. Here's where I want to work. This is my plan. God, would you just join my plan? Or maybe you're in your 30s there, and uh, this, is, this is how I want my marriage to be. This is how the kind of parent I want to be. In my 40s, I'm thinking about this career change. I'm thinking about moving. God, would you join my plan? 50s or 60s, whatever, 70s, I'm thinking about this season of my life. God, would you join my plan? We can live that way, always wanting God to be the consultant rather than the commander and to join our plan, always wanting to try to work my agenda, my way, somehow, so rather than his plan. But when you become a Christ follower and you say, Jesus, uh, uh, would you forgive my sin? And we, we love that part. We love that part there. And our sins are completely forgiven because of his work not our work. We didn't have anything to do with it there. And so, but on the cross, Jesus doesn't say, doesn't say, do more for me. Do this and live, the law commands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word, the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. And so there it is. He's on the cross. Do, doesn't say do more for me. He says it is finished. There's nothing you can do. See, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It is the Jesus plus nothing plan. It's all been done for you. I love the little uh, cartoon that a little seven-year-old Tommy wrote, and he said, God is like McDonald's. He does it all for you. Remember that? And so... So his plans for you are so much better, so much fuller. And so Joshua realizes, says, I am your servant. My life is at your command there. And so first of all, in your notes there, it's his plan and not ours. His plan and not ours. So that's how the, the, we're to recognize that the Christian life, the Christ-following life, it is all about his plan and not our plan there. I am your servant. So Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 says that I have given you Jericho, its king, 
and all its strong warriors there. And God is saying, I'm the one that is doing this. It is not by your might. It's not by your power. It's not by your merit there. Say, I am the one that is handing them over to you. I'm doing this. And so this is all about God's provision, secondly in your notes, not ours. The Christ-following life is not only his plan, not ours, but his provision, not ours here. And so God is saying to Joshua and God's people, look, I'm providing everything you need for victory here. And so you say, well, what does this have to do with me? Has everything to do with you here? Because you are sitting here today by none other provision than God's provision or if you are his follower. So I had nothing to do with my being here. The commander, your commander Christ, entered into the battlefield of, of, our, of our planet here, entered into this broken world, and entered into this broken world, went to the cross, and he died in our place, made provision for us that we had absolutely nothing to do with it. And so Jesus did all of the work so we don't have to do any of the work. So it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by his mercy, everything that he has done, that he saved us there. There's nothing that I could do to flag God's attention. No spiritual resume. Resume. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, but those things that were once count, uh, I counted as gain to me, I now count as loss. And I said, and I, re- and I count all things but loss for the excellency of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. And I do count them but rubbish or garbage, or you could think of other things, uh, dung there. And so it says, says that I might know him, the fellowship of his resurrection. And so, see, we receive from him his grace, his mercy, his goodness, his forgiveness. We receive, it's all his provision there kind of reminds me of a story, it's a sports story here about, how many, how many of you have heard of Michael Jordan, the basketball player? Anybody raise your hand, you heard of Michael Jordan, the basketball player? Michael Jordan uh, was considered arguably the greatest player ever to play, or minimal, one of the greatest players. When the greatest game, one of the greatest players ever played, 1990, Michael Jordan against the Cleveland Cavaliers, he went for 69 points, there he is on the screens there, he went for 69 points, 18 rebounds, shot 62%, are you sports people loving it, come on, are you loving it, come on, where do you get this, okay, and so, and after the game, after the game, all of the, all of the, the press was just dying to interview Michael Jordan, the great Michael Jordan, but he was so exhausted, you know what he did, he took off. He took, he's like, I don't have the energy. I just scored 69 points. I don't have the energy to do an interview. So he shot out of there. And so there's another player there named Stacy King. Stacy King was a rookie. He couldn't hit the side of a barn. I mean, the guy had such a bad, I'm not kidding. He could not, he could not hit the side of a barn. And so his stat line, you know what his stat line was? Nothing but missed free throws, scored one point. One point, Stacy King, and so there's nobody to interview, right? They're looking around. Where's my? Where's the great my? There's, oh, there's nobody but King over there in the corner. Let's go interview King. So they go over there and they interview Stacy King and say, "Hey, Stacy," he said, "What was it like? What was it like playing in this epic game with the great Michael Jordan?" He said, "It was amazing." He says, "Let me tell you, it was amazing." He says, "Michael and I combined to score seventy points." <laughs> 
We, 70 points. Michael and I right there. It's all about MJ and me together. 70 points. <laughs> well, we joined with Jesus did like Stacy King joined with MJ, Michael Jordan. Okay, and I didn't score one point. I did nothing. I didn't score one stinking point. He did everything. He scored all the points there. And so, uh, well done, Stacy King here. And how wise is it for him to, com- to kind of get in on the offering of Michael Jordan? How wise is it for us to get in on the offering of Jesus Christ who did it all for you? His provision for you there. All I brought to him. You want to know what the speaker brought to him this morning? All I brought to him was my failures, and they are many. All I brought was my bucket of brokenness and my bucket of sin. That's all I brought. I brought nothing to the table. I didn't bring one point to the table, absolutely nothing. If you're a Christ follower, you are sitting in that seat, and you didn't bring one thing, to, one bucket of anything to the table. It's all about him all the time. See, the Christ following life is his provision, not ours. And so, I think I'm speaking, I'm preaching better than you're responding. And so, uh, I love what, William Temple said, he said, the only thing that we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. That's all I contributed. The sin, the bucket of sin and darkness and brokenness that makes it necessary. That was what I brought to the table and nothing else. You see, that was my part. He gives his righteousness, his forgiveness, all his mercy and grace. See, being a Christ follower is all about his provision and what he has done for us. You just bring your brokenness. You just bring your sin, and that's all that you, you ever bring. Think of the children of Israel there. Now, they're, they're thinking like, yeah, let's get our swords and spears and shields. Uh, let's, let's attack the way we know how to attack. And God says, no. Not about that, because you might think that it was about your provision or your ability. So God says to them in attacking Jericho, he says, you put all that down. It's gonna, you're going to know it's all about me. It's not about your, you know, you marched in the right order there. It's not going to be you hit the right decibel when you shouted. It's not about you there. There's nothing that you can do. It's all about me when you enter into the promised life or them the promised land of what I do for you. It's about my provision. So you might be here this morning and thinking, well, I'm struggling with my health, struggling with my career, struggling with my relational world here. I'm struggling with school life there. Well, we know that his provision that he meets all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus, right? Maybe you're facing a tragedy and you're thinking like, how is God ever going to pull this off? But he's the God who is able to do more than you could ask or think here. He's a God that works all things together for the good to those that love and are called according to his purpose. This is who he is here. I don't know about my future. He is the God that provides, that will never leave you or forsake you there. And so the Bible says that there is nothing, there's no creature that can separate you from the love of God. This is is who he is here. And so 
It is his plan and not yours. It is his purpose. I'm sorry, it is his provision and not yours. And lastly, just the reviewing from last week, it is his power. It's his power and not ours. The same power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in you. Imagine that. Imagine that. Get your mind around that. And so in our story here, did the walls of Jericho come down because of the people's marching? I'm, asking, I'm just asking, did the walls come down because of their perfect marching? Did it come down because, man, they hit that, that horn tune just perfect? Is that why the walls came down? It's because they're shouting. Is that why the, the walls came down? No, it's not, is it? It's none of those things. It was all God's provision and now God's power here. And so the walls didn't fall down because of the power of the shouts, but the power of the Savior, the commander of the Lord. That's why the walls came down there. And so the walls fell down because of God's power there. So now the shouts did uh, demonstrate that the people trusted God. So that's awesome. And we talked about that last week. And we cry out to God and we shout out to God, and, and you need to build that into your life, that you might see God's power come to expression in, in, in your regular life there. And so a story that I have for you, I just share on occasion. I pull it out maybe once a year. I'm going to pull it out. And so that is a story of, of my firstborn son. That When he was born, uh, he got septic, and he didn't breathe for 10 minutes, a full 10 minutes after he was born. So if you talk to people in the medical world, after four minutes, you're in trouble. You're in serious trouble, four minutes. And I remember seeing him come out, he's a little gray sausage. He just shot out like a little gray sausage. That, I don't think this looks good. There's about 15 people in the room. I said, this is not good. This is really, really not good. And so uh, uh, then they started working on him, doing CPR. And, and I could see, I knew it was bad. It was bad. It was really bad. And so... Uh, I went to talk to the, to the main guy, the chief of the whole staff. And I said, uh, I said, it's bad, isn't it? He said, yeah, it's bad. I said, I'm a doctor. So I said, just tell me straight up. I said, I went to this school, Loma Linda. I said, I trained in this hospital. I said, just tell me straight up, uh, is my son retarded? He said, yeah, your son's retarded. He has all the signs and clinical symptoms of mental retardation. I'm like, what do you do with that? It's not, not like the future that I anticipated. And so it was devastating. I was just devastating f- f- for, to get that diagnosis there. For a full year, he was diagnosed as cerebral palsy. Three doctors, cerebral palsy, mental retardation, three times a week at the doctor. Well, 10 years later, 10 years later, I'm just going to fast forward 10 years later, I'm talking to the nurse that was there. I said, hey, are you, are, you, are you Dr. Collins? And was that your kid? For, Forest and in the hospital. I said, yeah, that was my kid. She said, I was there. I said, I said really, you, you, you were there? She said, yeah, how, how's he doing? I said, he's okay. I mean, he's like normal, whatever like normal is for a 10-year-old. And uh, I said, he's like normal. And she said, that's a miracle. I was there. 10 years later, she remembered. She said, that's a miracle. Said, Every so often. Every decade. But, but wait, 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 but wait. Wait, because there's a lot of people that their kids didn't get better. And I, I hesitated telling the story because what about the people whose kids don't get better? But see, God's work, God's work was, I work in my son 
And I just decided, like, but I realized, like, God's work was it in me too. And this, the pain of that, it worked within me that, that God worked things that he, that he wanted to work inside of me. And so, as such that I just said, I'll serve you no matter what. Retarded son or not, I'll serve you and I'll love, I'll love him no matter what. But see, so the power of God in our darkest moments is at work within us. And then, and maybe, or maybe there might be healing, but maybe there might not. And so, but the bottom line is this, is that God's power comes to work. And so the Christ following life then, it's not about our plan. See, I had a plan for my son's life. I, I, I thought about it and I dreamed about it and the kind of athlete that he was going to be and all, all these things and I dreamed about that. But I realized like, it's not about my plan. It's not my plan. I had this plan. My plan was not for, retarded to, for me to raise a mentally retarded son. That was not my plan. But I had to accept that plan that, okay, God, if that's the plan, I will accept the plan and I will love the plan and I will love you and I will love him. It turned out that that wasn't the plan, but God had to break me of all my plans because I had all my plans sorted out. This is an example of how I was planning. And, and so see, the Christ following life, it's not about your plan. We need to get that. It's not about your plan. It's about his plan. And so, and then it's not about our provision. We can do nothing to be here this morning. It's all about his provision. And lastly, then it's about his power, his power work. The Christ following life is not about my power, my ability, and my, to, to pull this life off. It's all about him. And so we've got to continually lean into that. So that was the review. And now for, we've got 10 minutes for new stuff. Joshua chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, and then chapter 7, verse 1 and 4. So I've just condensed this because I knew we would be a, a while getting through what we just did. Jericho and everything in it. So we're shifting gears here. And now God's people there are now facing Jericho. They've, they've defeated Jericho. It's amazing here, this incredible victory at Jericho. They defeated this fortress that was undefeatable here. God's people just involved in the greatest military conquest in their history here. They've just witnessed tremendous defeat of the people at Ai. Now get this because... What happens here, you got to get this. So, so just listen to me. So now they've defeated Jericho, which is this immense, undefeatable city here that you saw the pictures last week with the big walls and all that. They defeated that. They had the conquest of Jericho. But now they're going to go up in Ai. And Ai is like podunk. Ai is like this. You're thinking about the battle, and you're, go- you're going like this. Ai. Bring it on. Okay, you're, you're like, you're, you're feeling it. You're, you're feeling a little, little uh, maybe a little arrogant, a little cocky there. They're like, bring it on, AI. Like, AI, we're going we're to squish AI. And so what happened here is behind the scenes, something happened. Jericho and everything in it, with that background, and everything in it is an offering to the Lord. Okay, so everything that they go, they're going to go into Jericho now, and everything that they're going to get is supposed to be for God. Everything. All the silver, all the gold, all the fancy Babylonian garment, all of it is supposed to be God's here. And so says says here, um, don't take any of these things. Now, 
imagine you're there. You've been 40 years in the wilderness. Everything's been provided for you. Manna, water, everything. Now those days are over. You've got to provide for yourself. And they're seeing all the stuff in Jericho there, all the farming instruments, all the clothing, all the money. How are they going to do this? How are they going to survive? God says, no, 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 don't touch any of it there. He says, don't take any of the things. Or you yourselves, look, the consequence, you'll be destroyed and you're going to bring trouble on yourself. But Israel violated, Israel, who's Israel? Israel's one person, Achan, violated the instruction about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of the dedicated things. Dedicated to what? Dedicated to the Lord. The silver, the gold, it was all to be his. Now, I want you to see this. Imagine this. There's Achan. And he's literally climbing over all the rubble, okay, of Jericho, which is now fallen, okay, which is screaming of God's provision for you. God has provided this. This is because of God's power here. So he's climbing over everything. And what is he doing? He's grabbing stuff there. So a man named Agan had stolen some of the dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent. So they're, they're like this. I was going to take to defeat these podunk nobody AI. Ah, let's grab two or 3,000. We'll finish them off in no time. And so, and so there they are. And so why would God do this? Why would God say, don't take anything? I mean, it's like, shouldn't it like have been theirs? Well, God very clearly said here, no, don't take anything. I know you'll need tools. I know you're going to need supplies and resources, but give it all back to me. Now watch where this is going. It's an offering to me. It belongs to me. I want you, when you begin the promised life, to trust in me. Not in silver, not in gold, not in the Babylonian clothes here. It is all me here. I'm giving it to you. You're going to enter into the promised land there, but I want you to give it all back to me. This is the first thing they got to do. They got to build into their lives this, this understanding here. Why would God do this to say, I'm giving it to you, now you're going to give it back to me here? Because the biggest temptation that they would face and that we face too, is that God gives it all to me. It must be for me. God says, no, 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 no. You're going to go into the promised land, but it's not all for you. Uh, You give, I want you to begin to build into your life. You give a portion of what I give to you back to me so you'll know where it came from. So you'll know, know to trust me here, there, that I'm the one that supplies for you here. And so I'll give it to you, and then it's a great opportunity for you to give it back to me. And so doesn't that sound a little bit like the Christ-following life? Thank you for the four of you that just resounding love that kind of, love this part of the message here. And so, so when you're following Jesus here, what he does and what he wants to teach you is this, central and core to the promised life he has for you that he's going to give to you but you've got to build it into your life to keep giving back to him and trusting him there. And you do it faithfully 
You do it regularly. And you do it proportionally to what God gives you there. God says, trust me, I'll keep giving, but you've got to give back to me. So what does God want for you then? It's God wants for you to learn the same thing back then, that you learn to be generous with him, that you don't think that like God's some greedy God, like God's, okay, I've got to have all the silver and gold. No, it's not about God being greedy. This is all about you. It's all about them. It's all about me here that giving is God's great gift to me that then I can learn to trust him with my opportunities and my, my, my silver and my gold and my, and my job and all that because I'm going to be tempted like them to trust that it's by my strength, my ingenuity, and my ability, my capacity. That's, how, that's all this blessing is, is in my life. It's all, about, it's all about Rod Collins. That's what it is. So God says, no, no you got to recognize it's all about me. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. So everything you have, Rod, everything we have comes from him. And so I'm tempted to trust. And so God says, I want you to give so you're not going to trust in the silver and the gold there. I want you to believe that I am the one who is providing for you. And you make that statement on a regular basis there. But you know what Achan does? That's what Achan does. Achan's walking around, climbing over all the all the. The, the stones of, of provision there. And Achan's like this. Achan sees a beautiful, like, Babylonian robe there. That's standing in for us for a beautiful Babylonian robe, okay? Maybe it'd be Gucci or whatever for you, whatever you're into today. So, and Achan, Achan is like this. He sees it. He's like, wow. Man, I, I, would look, I look pretty good in that robe. So Achan's like, yeah, I, I know what the Lord said, but I was going to make a little exception, and I don't think this is all about me. This is all, this is all, this is all about me. This is what Aiken did. I'm just showing you what Aiken did, so you can imagine it. But Aiken, how do I look? Huh? How do I look? Come on, everybody. This is what I get paid the big bucks for is to do this. Come on, somebody. I'm just having fun with you. So Aiken was like this. Aiken says, well, no one's going to know. Oh, is that right, Aiken? Like we're talking about you a few thousand years later, and I don't know how many millions of people know about all you did, but Aiken's like, I could take it, I could, no one's going to know. Is that what sin does? Huh? Is that what sin does? Sin tells you and lies to you, hey, hey, no, no one will know. No one's going to find out. Just go ahead and do it, and nobody will know. See, and that's what Aiken thought. And Aiken thought, well, I can do it, and it's not going to hurt anyone. It's not going to hurt, is that right, Aiken? All it did was like hurt the entire nation. What you did hurt the whole nation. And I can think, oh, I, I can do whatever we want. I can sin. It's not going to hurt anyone. Is that right? Is that right? It's not going to hurt anyone. See, it's going to have a ripple effect. And this had ripple effect had a ripple effect for thousands of years. And, uh, and it says, think of how admired that I'll be in that Babylonian garment. Just think how, how admired. And, and so, see, and this is what we do. We justify. And so they're thinking back to AI, and i got to wrap this up, that it's an easy win. They didn't consult God. And so and here's what happened. They're devastated. 36 funerals happened. Verse 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 21 and 26. As the worship team comes up, among the plunder, I saw 200 silver coins, a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them. And so much I took them, and then I hid them. And so I want us to see this here. It's a progression of sin. First I saw, see, and he says, the plunder. Oh, really, was it plunder? Is that right? Was it plunder? No, it wasn't plunder. You twisted what it was. 
It's never meant to be spoils or plunder. That was all the Lord's. See, isn't that what sin does? I saw it. I got to figure out how I'm going to get that thing. And I have this improper perspective about what, what I see. He doesn't see God there. And so, and so doesn't have God's perspective. He has his own fallen perspective. I saw. And then the next thing is I go, I got to have that thing. I've got to have it. Say, and then he, then he has an improper desire there, a twisted desire. I've got to have it. But God said No. God says you can't have that. And that's what sin does. He's like, but, but I'll, I'll have it. And so then he takes what wasn't his and what was forbidden to him. And that's what sin does to you. I see it. I covet it. I desire it. I lust after it. And then I want it. And I've got to have that, that thing there. See, that's what sin does. That's the progression. And then ultimately, and I'll take it. I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll, I'll take it. It's all mine. It's mine. I'll take it. I'll look at what it did to the nation. 36 funerals. You don't think it's going to affect anybody, Aiken? 36. Think of it. 36 funerals. It's all it cost, Aiken, because you didn't think it would hurt anybody. You didn't think your sin would affect anybody. But 36 families had a funeral because of you and your sin. And then he says, just like us, how about I can get away with it? I can get away. I, I'm going to get away with it. I'm going I'm to hide it so no one's going to know. That's what we do. I'll hide it. I'll get away, I'll get away with it. It, it never works. Like here we're talking about it. So this is a story, a picture of what sin does to you. But how much better we would be like Joshua and come to the conclusion that I am yours and I am the Lord's servant. And this, this is the word of the Lord. <laughs>